Hi, come on in, grab a snack. Welcome to Bob and Joyce. We have a good program today and hope you leave with good ideas and by all means, a few good laughs. We want to support you doing bold work. One. So I've been thinking today about the impact of being in transition. And I know that when we worked on transition, when one of our companies was bought, one of the most, and we did bring in William Bridges, and we did use his book, Transition, which I recommend um, to everybody. And it even has a great thing in the back where you read a case study and it helps you understand his precepts. So I really recommend that. And on the, also talking about that, I brought him in without permission. I only got permission from one person. So that was one of those moves that could have gone right down the tubes, but it didn't. But what I was thinking of is we were in a stable environment, going to be bought, and the side effects were big at that time because we weren't used to such chaos. And chaos is very different from transition. And some of the side effects were so interesting. People got very sad about loss, about identity, mourning. There was a sense of mourning that lasted quite a while. There was fear. What does this mean to me? And basic fear, like, will I lose my job? Will I have to move? Things that really, you know, don't rattle. The other was um, a feeling of incompetence because one world was kind of, I don't want to say disintegrating, but if you say think of integration and disintegrating, it was in order to reintegrate and neither was solid yet. So I, I remember no matter what I did, I kind of was going, is this competent? Am I competent? What am I doing? And um, the other was timidity. People really began to hunker down and not give opinions and um, kind of quiet, hunkered down. The turtle had its head in. And the other was confusion. No, I don't, I can't find the right word. Well, freezing, frozen, not able to concentrate. That's what it was, an inability to really dig in and concentrate. And in fact, one of my jobs, I mean, I was told, and you were too, when you were selling stores or some part of stores, that to get the concentration and focus going so that people just didn't dwindle and freeze. And I was, in, uh, I'm, I was part of a bank that was sold and I was doing OD and nobody knew it was gonna be sold except three people and I was one. Oh. And I began to do training like a wild woman and we called it intense learning experience. And people came to class and got a buzz, and we, and I did intense training for three months. I think I did two training sessions a week on different topics. That was to prevent 
that deflation. Ooh. Yeah. Well, anyhow, that's what's on my mind today. So uh, a couple things. Um, mm -hmm. I think Bridges book was written probably back in the late 1980s, if not before. I have that. no idea. And he's he passed away uh, probably 15 uh, plus or minus years ago. And I know all of us at times either reread a book or we uh, buy the book and give it to another person. Bridges' book is the one that I've read at least twice. And I have given away more copies of that transition uh -huh. than any other book I've given. So, really? I mean, if there's one nugget, because it's one, it's timeless. Uh -huh. And two, uh, he, he, he makes sense and rationalizes all the different irrational things that you were describing a little bit earlier. Uh -huh. Like this isn't abnormal. This is normal. So, well, and, okay. And oddly enough, what some of it did for the company that was being bought was said, hello, you're in transition. Yeah. People, you know, like they wouldn't kind of, they go, oh, I'm, bo I'm bored. I can't work. But once they were told, yes, you're in transition. Yeah. Any woman that has given birth will understand that. Yeah. I, <laughs> which for the gentleman out there, it just means we don't get it. And That's right. no, we don't. So, what, and I'll use kind of a, a real life example of how bridges work being timeless. Uh, I uh, consult with a number of small, medium-sized companies. And at the beginning of the pandemic and the close down, I was getting a lot of calls about uh, what do I do? People don't want to come to work uh, or people don't want to leave work uh, or, you know, I'm going to send my staff home, but how do I make sure they work eight hours? Uh, and on and on and on, nothing that none of us uh, haven't heard. And my, uh, my reaction again and again to all those different questions was cut people slack. Uh, meaning if, you're, if your uh, first inclination is to overmanage and overdirect, ain't going to work. Uh, if it's to sympathize and I understand what you're going, you know, so, you know, and we all probably handled it in different ways when uh, the company started closing down and sending people home. But I found that work from Bridges was very instructive. I mean, people thought I was some kind of like, oh, you're so right. No, I'm not. I just, I just use the principles of accepting the fact that everyone reacts differently to transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the uh -huh. more you try to overmanage, over control. Uh, the more uh, it just isn't going to work. And I do remember that we did uh, have people in various groupings uh, look at their own life. When have they had a big transition? What was the flow and the pattern of it? What helped? What didn't? Therefore, what can you do? And it was what was surprising, once again, was how many people didn't realize like they had a divorce or they had a death, they didn't realize the path. They didn't know they were on a path of transition. So they weren't gentle with themselves or whatever. But you know what, I, I mentioned chaos, which we can focus on another time, but I'm thinking of 
a person going through a divorce. Actually, what I'm thinking of, we have so many systems involved in large transitions that you could, some are called catastrophes. Yeah. Like they throw you in to transition. So we are transitioning from how to play sports to how to save a planet. Mm. And all those systems, schools, church, government, are transitioning for their own survival, just like biological entities do. And it's too many. Well, and, and you know, yeah, it, it's it's not only too many to track, but for the first time I can remember in my lifetime, so I know that sounds pretty dramatic, is that we're all on the same learning curve. You know, when uh, the, the word World Health Organization used the word pandemic, we were all kind of thrown into this same learning. So how do I learn? How do I adjust? How do I react? How, how do I lead? And, uh, uh, I, and I, when I think about being at the beginning of a learning curve, um, this is going to be a horrible metaphor, but it's so real to me. I, I just took up pickleball, uh, Joyce. I'm jealous. And I made the biggest mistake of going out with three really good people. And I'm not a bad athlete, but I was so bad and was so disoriented. And everybody was trying to help me out. And the more they try to help me out, the worse mm. I got. And I just think about my own transition and it being new to me. And I think about all the flubs uh, and, and real errors that we made early on. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you said, we have so many levels of transition. I don't think there's what any was your loss. Your loss was a sense of competence. My, my, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is not me. I'm a better athlete than this. What else? Uh, disorientation. I had to be told three times, Bob, you don't serve from the tennis baseline. I, I became discombobulated on the court. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I didn't even know the first thing, which I didn't. What but helped? And the more people try to help me, the more pressed I became and the worse I did. Yeah, yeah. So, so what helped? Um, if I were totally honest, it, nothing helped me that day on the court. What did help me was buying 10 pickleballs and going out alone and, and just repeating the same serve again and again and again and again. Right, to establish, to establish some competency. But two things, you can see how people would revert to doing something they knew over and over again. And how discombobulated you were. I had another point and it's gone. That pressure of being taught rather than allowing you to learn. Yeah. And that, and that was, suppose someone asked me afterwards, you didn't really have a lot of fun. And I said, you know, it was all self-inflicted. I felt that I was being coached so much and then not being able to perform. It literally put me into a tailspin. So when I put it back to people that were first impacted by the pandemic and the fear 
uh, and you know, the fear of even going to work, being with family members. I, I can honestly see why people felt so disoriented and uh, really incapable. Yeah, and feeling incompetent is horrible. But also, uh, maybe another lesson for transition, and there are going to be plenty of times when you feel horrible. It's not until you step away and can reflect or help others reflect that you can get grounded. Your choice was, I'm going to go get competent. Yeah. What if you couldn't? That's right. What if you can't get competent in a pandemic? Yeah. And, and if I think about Bridges' work, how it, like I wasn't thinking about Bridges' work as I was right. going through that humiliation. Um, but I, I see how uh, this whole notion of cutting people slack, not forcing them to come to the solution that you want them to have, giving people time and space, like me going off alone on a 95 degree day to hit a ball 150 times. Um, because that's what worked for me. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking how I had surgery. <laughs> and that was a letting go for me of a certain kind of physical strength and energy I'm used to having. Yeah. And, you know, and recovery is a transition. And, boy, I was going to fall back on old behavior no matter what. <laughs> I think my, I had my granddaughter sleep with me on the first, second, third day back from the hospital. What? So, um, and I did, I felt a loss of identity because I couldn't manage my household in a way. Yeah. Not that I ever manage my household. Um, you know, yeah. oh, um, uh, and, and Bridges didn't use the word mindfulness because I don't think it was created back then. But I know not, not in, uh, food retailing. What did you say? Not in food retailing. Oh, no, no. Right. Uh, but but he, he, you know, in his writing, he talks about really getting in touch with where you are mm -hmm. uh, and don't try to avoid it, don't try to run away from it, but to, to almost marinate in it. I, I think of it kind of the modern day version of mindfulness mm -hmm. and, and getting. A and how do you, how do you like, uh, I don't, you know, therapy for the world. I don't know, but yeah. I know I had, um, I finally realized what I was feeling because my husband had had a stroke. I was feeling sad about my body getting old. I'm not. I'm not, and to and so I had plenty of time and enough security to be able to reflect. And if you think that that's not available to most people, and you can't reflect when you're scared, you can't. I mean, if you're very disciplined and know you have food in a bed, maybe. But anyway, when does, when is, so we, all of you OD practitioners out there, you know we work in systems and watch them and how they interact and where you draw a boundary around a system. All of our systems are in transition without mindfulness and all the effects of transition and where, uh, so it's heading 
toward chaos. And chaos theory, this part I love because I think it's happening all over the place, is right before any organism transitions to something new, they revert back to their old body, even wings, just for a little bit. They're just clinging because to do that transition, you do have to go into free fall and hope that you catch the trapeze coming at you. Anyway, I'm just feeling, um, I wanted to say sympathy and wanting to wonder how do we comfort people in great transitions? And I don't think we comfort. How do we create an environment? Ugh. Can I, um, so one thing that popped into my uh, head and um, in, not that it even was close to the transitions that are occurring now. Uh, I remember one time when we were consolidating once again, two companies into one, uh, everyone was impacted. New boss, if you stayed, people terminated. Uh, and during that period, uh, that moment in time, as you say, revert back, we asked all of our top leaders to meet with a kind of a vertical slice uh, over time so that they met with everyone. And we told them just to sit, pose the question, how are you doing? What do you need? And without opening their mouth, meaning don't fix it, don't offer a solution, just listen. And listen until the room is emptied out. And if no one says anything for the first 10 minutes, go 20 minutes. And it was excruciating for those leaders. But I want to tell you right now, that was so cathartic, both for the boss, the leader, and the people. Oh, that's a good one, people. Yeah. I, you know, and, and so there's this, there was no fixing. But what was interesting is with few words spoken, both the leader and the, the people in his or her organization left better. And I'm not even sure how to define better, but they left better. Yeah. Well, you know, it's whenever you say what's going on inside of you, even though you're afraid to say it, you feel better. I'm thinking of a CEO I worked with who, um, in a different industry, who was not articulate, but a good leader manager, but not articulate about what he did. So anyhow, I set up a town meeting for him five days in a row with open seating. And we, I treated it like a town meeting. Each person could come up and ask a question. And, uh, oh no, not, not a question. Tell their truth oh. about, I forget the hubbub that was going on. So it, we all, it was like at a town meeting, people were just coming up and speaking to the issue. He got such great reviews. For not having said anything. <laughs> but his job was just to say, thank you. I needed to hear that. Yeah. I needed to hear that. And he said that after each one. So, yeah. yeah. That's how to do systemic listening. Yeah. 
I, I, I think another, uh, another uh, methodology or tool uh, that I think would work in, in these situations is examining the systems and processes uh, that exist in your organization. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, exactly. And, and, and really rationalize whether they're no longer needed. Right. Uh, some that are kind of on the oh. fringes need to be accelerated. You know, so what are your communication processes? Uh, what are your rules that no longer apply? Because that was the other thing at the beginning of this pandemic, people were saying, well, my leave of absence policy, well, my sick policy. It's like I said, for the next three months or foreseeable future, we're going to jettison all those rules and do what we think is right now. So I think that examination of what's working, what's not working, and what do we need that doesn't even exist. Uh, and I'm remembering when we did a very formal type asked approach to everybody examining what they do. Remember it was ruthless elimination of value. <laughs> what was it? Do you remember what it was like? It was, well, it, it, we remember nobody liked the word ruthless. I know, uh, and they changed the it to relentless. Work. Relentless elimination yeah. of work. Right. No, ruthless. But, <laughs> but each department did yeah. put up on a huge wall to the world, we are not doing this anymore. We are not doing this anymore in order to do this. And that was good <laughs> it was good yeah. you can go by and, and say oh okay well, Maybe they're not gonna do the flyer <laughs> for a I while had a family of educators uh that in this time of remote learning uh and i'll just use my son i he, he won't watch this so i can use him he is so frustrated and so almost burnt out by his inability to do the teaching to the thoroughness and the completeness that he would like. Wow. Uh, that it's really, it's heavy. It weighs heavy on him. I have a teacher son and it's the same and he wants to use the same. In, uh, it's but, it, but it's, it's, it's a very real example of what you said. Like given this reality, you know, what am I willing to let go of? Even if it means it's not going to be the most perfect, uh, you know, uh, result at the end of the day. Um, so it's just a different way of looking at the... And, and you have to spell it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How are we on our time? I have no idea. Uh, I, I'm going I'm to say that we probably have about three or four minutes to, to talk about this, and then we'll close it out. If everyone agrees. Or you can leave now if you like. Yeah. All of you masses out there, feel free to do what you want. <laughs> all seven of you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say. I know what it, it, I feel relieved. I opened it up that this topic, cause it was in my chest. Yeah. And, um, it feels good to wander around and speculate and talk about what we've done. I, I liked it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm um, I liked it for the clarity, but I'm in slightly more pain for the world. <laughs> it makes me realize. 
what's needed and, and feeling impotent, which is another side effect of transition. You know, um, and this is going to sound a little Pollyanna. Uh, it's hard to look for the good in times when everything looks so bad. Uh, I just had a friend return from uh, 40 days of traveling the country in the middle of this pandemic. And I spoke to him this morning and I said, what, what really struck you? How good that, people are. Exactly. We didn't have a conversation. And just changing that frame uh, in tough times of transition uh, can really shift not only your perspective, but it kind of can shift the dialogue. I'm just going to truth burp it out. May our, could, would that our leaders would have that same degree of being good, meaning period. Yeah. All leaders. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, transitions. What a, I mean, there isn't a more relevant conversation to be having right now. And then as an HROD, uh, yeah, it's happening to you, but how do you help your organization and you be at your best when you might have a tendency to feel at your worst? And all the good people deserve good leadership, good work. Good work. Thinking of Labor Day. I started to write about it and got grandkids around me instead. Yeah. I'm a worker. Work. I'm, I'm an, if I may have been an executive, but I was an executive worker. And work matters no matter what you do or what you're, you know, finding what to do. You and I love to hook up people with what they can do well. But workers matter. You know, I, uh, I just completed last week kind of my own uh, platform planks for uh, voting this year. And I kind of grouped them uh, by theme. And my first one was dignity of work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because I, when I you think about institutions, when you think about uh, life meaning, uh, you know, uh, events, work is, is really important. So um, I don't know whether this lays more of a burden on our HROD listeners. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. And hopefully we, we help lift the burden. with. It's it. a burden worth having. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, Joyce. Uh, everyone, till the next time. Uh, Adios. Adios. Thank you for joining us on the Bob and Joyce podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up an idea or two to go forward and do great work. For more information, please visit us at bobandjoyce.com. If you like today's podcast, please click subscribe. And even better, give us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It supports us and helps others to find the show. If you'd like more ODHR content, please follow us on Facebook by searching for Bob and Joyce Podcast. Until the next time, be well and be safe.